You are listening to an audio broadcast from the Charlottesville Vineyard Christian Church. For about 10 years now, I've been in the field of human resources. Um, And if you don't know what human resources is, which I've run into many people who don't, um, it's basically the field in business that focuses on getting the right people the right place at the right time. So it's hiring it's um, training, it's developing, it's, um, it's doing employee relations, which sometimes leads to terminations. It's a lot of the legal stuff related to um, managing people and having people in the workplace. Uh, FMLA, has anybody ever heard of FMLA? A couple of us? Only Jamie? Oh, okay. How about any other hands who've heard of FMLA? Family Medical Leave Act? Okay, great, great. All right. ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, a couple of us. All right, all right, good, good. So some of us are familiar with these laws that govern the workplace, and those are the laws that I sort of have to uphold and make sure we as a company are living by. That's kind of what an HR person does. Now, over the course of these 10 years or so, I've come across many uh, employee relations issues. And so that's just a nice way of saying people have conflict in the workplace, and I try to help them deal with it. Um, So you can imagine in 10 years working in a corporate environment, working out in, um, lately I've been working out at UVA, uh, that you run across quite a few interesting cases. Um, Along, throughout the years I've had, let's see, one of my first employee relations cases was um, an employee who, and I can't remember why we had to let him go, but it was something related to him doing something illegal in the workplace. And uh, this goes back a long time ago, but I remember I had to sit in on the conversation between him and his manager. And uh, again, the reason I don't remember the details of the case is because all I really remember is that he started yelling. And he yelled a lot. <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember he yelled all the way out to the parking lot. We had to take him out to get his, his pass so he couldn't get back in. And we had these corporate security guys with us who uh, a lot of big companies have these corporate security people who are, in many cases, retired FBI or retired police, that sort of thing. So they've seen a lot in their lifetime. And this is a way of them, way for them to sort of ease out of uh, that world. So these guys came with us, and this man was angry. And uh, I remember him just yelling and yelling, just everything he could think of, obscenities, whatever it may be. Uh, and of course, you know, on the way out, everybody had to look and see what was going on. So it was quite an interesting occasion. One of my, again, one of my first times doing uh, a, a termination, which I don't enjoy doing. Um, another time, I. Um, there was a guy who worked for this um, sort of financial center, this, um, I don't know what you call it. You know, you think a, a, a $12 billion company that I used to work for in Chicago. Uh, you've got a lot of basic financial transactions that occur. And so they, they centralized all that activity. And there was a guy who worked, he was an accountant, who worked in this department. And he made a mistake, and he hid about $3 million in uh, an account that was no longer used. This is some accounting mumbo-jumbo stuff. But ultimately, he was being very dishonest and hiding $3 million. million. Um, There's no way he could have taken that for his own use, but he didn't want anybody to know that the mistake was there. They discovered, of course, and um, so we had a confrontation, and that was interesting. He didn't yell, fortunately, but uh, it was very difficult. 
um, I've had early on when I was an intern. I remember feeling very personally violated because a woman uh, had at her desk a, a calendar with scantily clad men. And uh, I just thought, well, that just doesn't seem right. I'm an HR person. We should confront that, right? So we had to talk about that. Um, uh, I've had employees who thought it was intelligent to smoke pot at work. I've had employees who thought it was wise to show up to work drunker than a skunk, literally walking into walls. Um, We don't let them serve food, just so you know. Uh, But yeah, over the years, I've had tons of experiences. And um, uh, my colleagues, you know, just my experiences alone, in addition to all my colleagues and hearing their stories and that sort of thing, I've accumulated a lot of stories over the years. And in every situation, um, there's some sort of conflict. There's some sort of confrontation involved, right? Uh, you know, somebody does something wrong. Somebody does something that's uh, either against policy or just plain wrong. And um, you need to confront that, right? So in my lifetime as, a, as an HR professional, um, I've come across conflict and, uh, and that sort of thing quite frequently. And conflict's a frequent and normal part of human relationship, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> some of us say, unfortunately. But since we're going to get into it, we ought to develop healthy ways of working through it. Don't you think? Does that make sense? Right, right, and we'll get into that. <laughs> so uh, today, <laughs> I'm calling this, this, this sermon the, the, uh, the Relational Collision. And it's actually part three. I, I didn't fill that in correctly. It's part three in a series on uh, friends can't live without them. Uh, we've, we've started this series because we thought, well, gosh, you know, one of the things, one of the core values for Vineyard is, is about authentic community. It's about having a real authentic community where we're relating to each other authentically. We're not just putting on the, the outward veneer. We're not uh, being somebody other than ourselves. We're trying to be our true selves. And um, part of, uh, you know, the foundation piece to a healthy, thriving, authentic community is, is the relationships that form within that community. Does that make sense? And if you look at the scriptures, outside of our relationship with God, probably the single most uh, uh, emphasized um, dynamic within all of scripture is about the relationship that we have with one another. Stories abound in scripture about how we're to treat one another, how we're to interact with one another, how we're to care for one another, those sorts of things. Um, it's clear that Jesus, that God cares very deeply about our relationships with one another. And so we've been doing this series about relationship, about developing deep, uh, lifelong, lasting, profound, life-changing, whatever other great adjectives you want to put in there, relationships. And uh, when I think about what we're talking about today, collision, I'm sorry, not collision. When I think about conflict, um, it brings up a lot of these cases that I've had to deal with over the years in, in human resources. Um, but I looked up the definition for, uh, for conflict, and the definition is basically a, a lot of fancy words in the definition, and, and I whittle it down to this. It's a collision between two forces. That's what a conflict is. So you think about uh, you can have a physical conflict, a car crash. Two cars want to occupy the same space at the same time. If anybody knows physics, that doesn't work out so well. So you have a collision. You have a conflict, right? Um, you think about maybe even our own internal mental states. You know, I, I want to go to uh, that baseball game, but at the same time I know I need to 
uh, I really want to make my hap- my family happy and stay home and look after them or be with them, right? So there's this internal conflict going on. And I have a collision of two ideas or desires happening at the same time in my mind, right? So there's a collision and there's an internal conflict. Now, relationally, when we think about that between us and other people, it's, a, it's basically a collision between two sets of wills. My will is to do one thing or to see this in one way um, or to, to perceive something a certain way, and somebody else's will is, is different. Their, their will is to perceive it a different way. So you have this collision of two wills. It's basically what a conflict is, right? Does that make sense? Awesome. Good, good. We can move forward then. All right, so there's conflict in Scripture, and it's all over the place, as I mentioned. Uh, you can look at um, God confronting the Israelites over and over and over again, often through prophets. If you read through the major and the minor prophets, um, so Isaiah, Hosea, those sorts of folks, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see loads of times where God's saying, tell my people this, they've gone wrong here, they've done this, they've, they need to go this way instead, right? Those are all confrontations, those are all conflicts, they're collisions of will, so to speak, right? Um, you look at the life of Jesus, how many times did he have some sort of confrontation with a Pharisee, with a scribe, with a teacher of the law, a Sadducee, uh, even his own disciples? Did it happen? Anybody? Did that happen occasionally? Yeah, a couple of us think so. All right, good, good. Um, and if you don't, I encourage you to read through just the gospel stories. Any one, just pick any particular gospel and you will see loads of conflict. Jesus confronting uh, people left and right. It's very interesting. Confronting even demons, right? He has conflict with demons. Um, David and Saul come to mind. If anybody's familiar with the story of David and Saul, um, David was, was basically Saul's right-hand man for a while. Saul got a bit jealous, not a bit, quite extremely jealous and decided, ah, eh, I'm going to kill this guy. Uh, you know, as anybody who gets jealous thinks at some point or another. Um, so he throws a spear at him, and David ducks, gets out of the way. And basically from that point forward, this time where Saul throws the spear at David, um, these two are in this, this massive, epic, epic confrontation. Um, and it lasts many, many chapters throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, eventually Saul loses out in that confrontation. Um, but David honors him through the whole process, and it's a very interesting um, look at the, the life and that conflict of David. In fact, in, I want to say in about a month or a couple months, we're going to start a whole series on the life of David, which I'm really excited about. Um, but then also, you know, again, all over the place, Job, the whole story of Job. Uh, throughout much of that story, it's an interaction, it's a dialogue between Job and his friends, right? And if you read that dialogue, it's, there's often conflict in there. There's, no, I disagree with you, this is the way it is. Or, no, I disagree with you, this is the way it is. Anybody familiar with that book? Yeah. It's all over the place. It is a great read. It, you know, um, all, it, again, Scripture, just chock full of conflict. And there's conflict in our own lives as well. Um, you know, I think about some of the stories I've heard from people here, or just um, even my own stories. Uh, there's one story I heard recently about this guy who's at work, at one of, one of our places of work, and he is a complainer, just constantly, like Debbie Downer kind of guy, you know? Like, you just want to go to work in peace. You want to have some fun. You want to be able to enjoy what you're doing a little bit. Anybody... Anybody want that at work? Anybody want to enjoy what they're doing? Just a little bit, right? You want some peace? (laughs) 
You want peace, right? But then when you get Debbie Downer in the room, and he's just complaining about how bad management is, about the policies, about this project, how it's pointless, that sort of thing, it just brings you down, doesn't it? And there's this conflict there, right? My will is to just have a peaceful, joy-filled environment where I work, and this guy is not really making that happen. He's not really allowing that. There's that conflict, right? Those two things are colliding. Um, Other examples. I want to have a clean house to live in. And my roommate or my spouse or whoever it may be or my children don't really allow that to happen. There's a conflict there, right? Um, Or something that happens very often if, if, um, you know, if if you're – even if you're living with other people or you, you're in a, a marriage situation, you have a conflict over how to spend the money, right? What to do with your money. Should we put it in savings? Should we spend it on this? Should we invest in that? Um, should we pay off debt? Should we whatever we want to do? Should we buy these cookies instead of the, the Food Lion brand? You know, I mean, there's all these conflicts that happen, and, and money is one of those big things that comes up over and over and over again. And trust me, if you haven't had conflicts about money, yet there will be down the road. Um, and there's even different perspectives on Scripture in small groups, right? Maybe sitting down having a good discussion about whatever, the life of David. And I see... David doing this, and here's, here's why I think he's doing it, and here's what I think God's saying. But, whoa, somebody else has a very different perspective. That's conflict, right? Again, it happens all over the place. Wherever we look at our significant relationships in life, there's conflict, big or small. It's all over the place. So you think that it makes sense. If God cares so much about our relationships with each other, if that is such a, a major focus in all of Scripture, and it is, then you think it makes sense that we try to work to understand how to approach conflict in a healthy way. Is that fair? Great. So the first question, I think, uh, when it comes to conflict is when do I engage in conflict, right? Um, I've had situations before where now people know that I'm a Michigan fan, Michigan Wolverine fan, University of Michigan. And I've had times where people try to goad me in to conflict. And I've, I've, bit, I've bit on that. You know, they just put a really fat, juicy uh, uh, worm out there, and I just bit onto it. And I go, and I go, and then, and then eventually I realize, wait a minute. <laughs> Something just happened. I'm in conflict here, and I don't want to be <laughs> Right, but uh, but that that happens from time to time. You know, we get we get uh, goaded into conflict, or we engage in it. And and honestly, um, I, I I do love Michigan. It's great. I love watching it. But it's not. I, it's it's not that important to get into conflict over it. Really, it's not. So I have to remember that. But really, conflict. When to engage? That's the question. We engage when. Getting my way is more important than the impact on the relationship. So we engage in conflict when getting my way is more important than the possible negative repercussions on the relationship. Right? So let me unpack that just a little bit. When I say getting my way, and I don't think I have any more slides on this, um, is do I want to be... And when, I, when I'm thinking about engaging in conflict, when I'm either goaded in or whatever the case may be, uh, or if I'm just confronted with it, do I, do I just want to get my own way? Is it, is it about pride? 
Is that what the, is that why I want to get my way? Is that why I want to engage in this conflict and try to win, so to speak? Is it just my own pride? Is it my self-image? You know, somebody's called me out and I have to I have to stand up for my image. I can't let them make me look silly. I can't let them think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Is that what it is? Is it, is it pride that's, that's driving me to get my own way? I mean, how many of, of us in here have been driven at all, ever, into conflict by pride? Anyone? Okay, so everyone except for just two or three of us. And good for you. That's great. <laughs> So is it is it about that pride or is it about something more important? Maybe um, maybe it's about our, our a core value, a belief, a principle, or maybe it's about the effect that that not getting my own way may have on others. And now some of you are going to dislike this, but I think about that effect on others. And Megan and I have um, been sucked in to a um, TV series called Twenty Four. We never watched it. We survived eight seasons without it. And, um, recently lost, well, no, I'm not even going to talk about lost, but, um, <laughs> recently we got, we got Netflix and we can watch it through our video game thing. And so it's like there, it's, oops, sorry, it's there all the time. And every time I walk by the TV 24 saying, do, 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 come listen, watch, um, and if you've never watched 24, it's this, this conflict, between, conflict between Jack Bauer, basically, and uh, whoever the terrorist de jour is, the terrorist of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, essentially, um, okay, so I'm going to go into an example on this effect on other people. Um, if I want to have my own way, um, and it doesn't really concern me personally so much, it's not so much about my core values or whatever it may be, but I find out that there's going to be an effect on somebody else, like a nuclear bomb is going to blow up in L.A., which happens probably every other season in Lost, <laughs> right? Um, so if that's going to happen, then there is a big effect on other people, right? Many people could die, many people could be severely hurt, that sort of thing. So to me, getting my way in that situation, if I'm Jack Bauer, is really important, Right? Even if I'm not, if I'm Jim Blakely and somehow I come across some information that could help prevent a terrorist plot to overflow the government or destroy uh, Charlottesville, then I want to get in the way. I want to insert my will, right? So getting my way in that situation is very important and actually really valuable. It's a moral imperative. Uh, you, you know, so that's the effect on other people. But there's also, um, what if it's about my core values, my core belief? You know, somebody says, somebody tells me, and this has happened numerous times throughout history. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with it. But um, somebody uh, somebody says, you know, uh, renounce Jesus or die. And that's a very real thing that happens even around the world today. Renounce Jesus or die. That's a core value, a core belief that I'm, I just can't give up. I, I, I can't let go. I have to have my way there. I'm not going to renounce him. Right? Hopefully none of us ever have to come across that situation. But it's happened throughout history, and it happens today. So there are times when it's really important that we do get our way. So going back to the point, when getting our way is more important than the impact on the relationship. Okay, so the impact on the relationship, um, if you think about it, the bigger the, in- the bigger the conflict. So whether it means that the temperature is raised, the emotional temperature is raised, um, it's, it's more core to who I am, um, it's longer lasting, it's... Um, a bigger issue, 
you know, if it's about Michigan football or whatever, I shouldn't really get too heated about that. Um, but if it's about something really core to who I am, really, really important, then the bigger the issue, the more tax that 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 could potentially have on the relationship. And if you think about your relationships in terms of of equity, right? So you have a certain amount of equity with people, um, and maybe your equity is at a 24. I'm sorry, that's a bad number. 25. Say your equity is at 25, right? You get into a conflict, and your equity, your relational equity with that person is going to slowly go down a little bit. And any conflict, you want it to end with the relational equity in the positive, right? So if you're, if you're married or you have a mother or, or, or brother or something like that, you're, you're starting out usually, in case, assuming the relationship is pretty, in pretty good shape, you're starting out with a really high level of relational equity. So a conflict that you engage in will chip off a, a little bit, but proportionally it's not that big, right? But you get into that same conflict with some, like a neighbor, like three, or, three doors down, you don't really know them. You just have said hi to them a couple times. But their dog keeps doing stuff to your lawn. You get into that kind of relational, or you get into a conflict with them, you might have just a level one or two in terms of equity with them, right? You get in that conflict, let's say they're resistant, that's going to drop down below zero pretty quickly. And when it hits below zero, you don't ever really want to talk to that person again. You just, there's, there's no equity left. There's no, you don't really feel like you want to pursue a relationship with them. Uh, you, don't want to, you don't want to try to rectify things necessarily. You just want to be done with the conflict and move on. So that's the basic idea that I'm talking about here. And, and I know if we push that analogy too far, it won't, it won't hold weight. But the basic idea is when I, when I want to get my way, and it's, and it's more important than the impact, the negative impact that it could have on the relationship, that's when we engage in conflict. So we can apply that in our own lives. You know, sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you can't just you can't do this whole measuring thing. Let's see. You know, um, somebody has just hit me with their car. Let me think. You know, it, you, you just don't go through that. You just react, right? Um, but hopefully, over time, we get better at at reacting in in more healthy ways. Okay. So that's the first thing: is is um, when to engage. And when, when, the, when the the weight here is negative, when it's boy, getting my way really isn't that valuable. And it certainly isn't worth the impact on the relationship. Th- those are times when it's, it's better just to sort of move away from conflict, to move on. Okay. So what about a healthy approach to conflict in general? There we go. Okay. So I think one of the first things when it comes to uh, a healthy approach to conflict is, um, is about self, self-awareness. So uh, this is answering the questions of, of, you know, what are my hot buttons and uh, what are my weaknesses? So my hot buttons might be um, uh, feeling stupid or feeling uncared for, unloved, that sort of thing. And if somebody touches that button, oh, I, I can't even see straight. You know, I can't, I can't even think about engaging in conflict in a sensible, rational, healthy way. It's just I'm, done, I'm undone. If I don't feel like this person cares for me, it's over, right? So those are hot buttons. Um, weaknesses, I, you know, and this has been one of mine throughout my life, a tendency to argue. Like I just love to get into it, not necessarily get into a fight, but I just love to debate. You know, it's fun. But other people don't always love that. And people really hate it sometimes, and so I need to back off. But um, maybe our tendency is to avoid conflict. Maybe our tendency, our weakness is, is to feel overwhelmed as soon as something bad happens or to exaggerate a lot. 
you know, statements like, you always do this, right? Mm, no, only once last week. Um, so knowing your weaknesses, knowing, knowing yourself, knowing your hot buttons, that self-awareness thing is really important when it comes to conflict. And this is kind of a longer-term approach to, to an, a healthy approach to conflict, right? The more we know our hot buttons, the more we know our weaknesses, the more likely we are to be aware of those as we walk into a, a, a conflict with another person that we love, that we care for. All right, the second thing, um, and this is especially about conflict amongst friends, this isn't, when I'm talking about this kind of healthy conflict, I'm not necessarily talking about the neighbor three doors down right here. I'm t- we're talking about healthy, um, long-term friendships, right? The conflict that engages in those situations or what could be a long-term relationship. Um, assuming noble intent. Has anybody heard that phrase before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, um, this is about not, um, not assuming that they have some sort of character flaw or that, um, you know, basically not judging them, um, judging their motive, assuming that, that they're way off base, that they hate you, that they're out to destroy the world or whatever it may be or your life, um, but that your loved one, your friend, actually might mean good for you but just has a different perspective. So assuming noble intent is basically that idea. And if you look at um, Matthew 7, where's my Bible? Okay, Matthew 7, 1 to 2 is, oh, thank you. Wasn't fully prepared. But Matthew 7, 1 to 2, and I don't have the scripture up here. Oh, this is a um, parallel Bible. I'm not going to read the message. New American Standard. Uh, Do not judge so you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So uh, Jesus... Jesus teaches uh, that we shouldn't judge one another. That, um, and this is the kind of judgment that's, um, you know, that's about somebody else's character. It's about where, where they may be coming from. It's about their heart. Um, he tells us not to judge. So when we get into conflict, that's a good thing to remember. A good thing to try to avoid is judging the other person and judging even um, you know, that they're malicious or whatever it may be. So assuming noble intent. Another is avoid avoidance, right? So this is, um, this is uh, many of us, you know, if, if conflict seems to be coming our way, uh, there's that whole fight or, fight or flight mentality, right? Some of the psychology majors in here know about fight or flight. You, 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 you may just want to get in that corner and bear down and get ready to go, uh, which can be just cannot be healthy as well. Um, or you want to just run, just get out. I don't want to be involved in this. I'm out of here. Done. Um, so avoid avoidance. And um, Matthew 18, one of the... Um, penultimate scriptures when it comes to conflict, when it comes to confrontation, especially amongst brothers and sisters. So when Jesus says that, he's talking about people within the church. Um, He talks about, back to scripture, Matthew 18, 15. Here we go. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And that whole passage continues on to talk about how to approach conflict, how to approach conflict 
uh, within the context of the church. And it talks about bringing two or three others and so on and so forth. I think what, what that scripture doesn't do necessarily is it doesn't expand on what does that look like when I bring this issue to my brother and my sister, right? And that's kind of what we're doing today. I probably could have even started with that scripture. This is really uh, an, an, um, just an explanation, a further detail of, of what that scripture is, is trying to say. What does it look like when we bring this issue to our brother or sister? But one thing you don't see in that scripture is if your brother sins against you, a hightail it out of there. If your brother sins against you or your sister sins against you, uh, turn your back and try to get away from conflict. It doesn't say that, does it? What does he say for us to do? Bring it to him, right? Bring it up. And so there's, there's no avoidance in that. And uh, we don't see in the life of Jesus, in the practice of Jesus, any avoidance in, in conflict, do we? Um, he engages in it very, very regularly sometimes and shockingly so on occasions. But so, anyway, when we think about a healthy approach to conflict, it's, it's avoiding avoidance. Don't avoid it. And one thing that can help in this regard, that one thing that's, that's helped me a lot is, um, is actually scheduling a time. You know, you want to avoid, you want to avoid, it's easy to put it off. You see that person, oh, but, you know, so-and-so is nearby, so we can't talk now. Maybe tomorrow, you know, and you go on and on, and eventually it just sort of, you never talk about it. But if you set up a time, you're sort of forced to do that, aren't you? Yeah, so that will help us to avoid avoidance if, um, if we set up time. The uh, fourth or fifth, whatever this is, is, is about listening. James, chapter 1. I like James. He's a good guy. It's a good name. Oh, thank you. Good idea. Um, James, chapter 1, verse 19. Says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So James is also talking about conflict, is also talking about um, confrontation within the life of, of community. And the, one of the first things he says is, is be slow to speak and, and quick to listen. So listening is one of those things that's, that's absolutely vital when it comes to healthy conflict. The, the, the more we learn how to listen to one another and really listen, you know, the, the, when you're in conflict, it's very easy to get to that point where it's, um, you know, you're just thinking about the next thing you want to say. Somebody's saying, somebody's making their point and you're not listening to them. You're thinking about what you want to say. You hear one key word and you either want to manipulate that word and use it against them or you want to just sort of come up with your line of defense as soon as they're done speaking or maybe cut them off before they're done speaking. Um, One of the keys to healthy conflict that can help us in the long term to build these lasting, lifelong, life-giving relationships is about taking the time to stop and listen to the other person. The other nice thing about that is it's, it, it can help us take us out of the heat of the moment. You know, when we, when we consciously put the effort into sitting back and listening, it can sort of let that, that pent-up, boiling anger inside of us or frustration or whatever it may be, it can let it sort of simmer down, right, if we just stop and we listen. Okay. Okay, another thing is, is trying to see it from the other person's vantage point. Um, so this is something that I try to do often uh, when it comes to employee relations. When I'm when I'm dealing with two people who are just really at odds, 
and uh, they've engaged in conflict and it seems to be going on beyond what they're able to deal with, um, then it's really important. Uh, one of the things I try to do as a sort of a mediator in those situations is help each person see it from the other person's perspective. You know, I understand what you're saying, but here's what so-and-so is saying. Do you, does that make sense? Do you see how they could perceive it that way? Um, and if we're able to in the midst of conflict or even in a break, you know, if you take a break in conflict or if you know you're going into a conflict, thinking through, okay, why would this person say this? Or why would this person have thus and so perspective? Let me think about that. Where are they coming from? You know, I know they're not crazy. I know they, they don't hate me and they're not trying to destroy me. Um, so what is it that, that may be leading them to think this thought or do this thing, whatever it may be, right? So trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes and, and understand their vantage point, that helps a ton. I'll tell you, I, you know, I've still, I've had conflict in the workplace where that didn't really do it. But more often than not, when we get to that point where both people see the other's um, perspective, as long as there hasn't been a lot of, of um, emotional damage done along the way, uh, as long as these two people haven't like you know gotten real bitter at each other, just sort of outside of the the argument, um, that usually ends up helping resolve whatever the situation may be. It's just helping them each each side to see what what the uh, the vantage point of the other person is. Does that make sense? Okay. The, the, one of the last things is, is about finding common ground. So w- when you get into a conflict with somebody, it's really valuable. At, at first, it may seem like everything is at odds, especially if the emotions are, are really high. Oh, they said this. They must, you know, they must hate the way I do my hair or something. You know, I mean, like, no, it's not about your hair. It's about... Whatever, taking the kids to the store. You know, I mean, you know, it's not about that thing. So try to isolate, work to isolate. And if you take, if you sort of take that time to breathe and listen and try to isolate the issue, the core issue down to what is, what is this really about? Yeah, because again, it can feel really big, it can feel like everything's in conflict at the beginning. But then as you whittle it down, you find that there's really just, just one little thing that's, that's going on here. And uh, maybe there's even some past history that's been brought into it. I've been really frustrated every time you've done this in the past. And so uh, now that you're doing it again, I'm really boiled up, right? Um, but it's trying to narrow down and isolate what, what the real issue is here. And sometimes when you get to that point, you know, if you really do a good job of, of nailing down what the core issue is here, you might realize, boy, either there is no real conflict here and we were both just thinking there was. Um, or, you know, there is a conflict, but it's really not that big a deal. You know? So um, trying to isolate what that core issue is is, is really helpful when it comes to, to conflict. Okay. And then, one of, again, one of the last ones. I just keep on saying one of the last ones. Okay, two more. This one, compromise when appropriate. Okay, that, and we'll leave it at that. I don't need to go into much detail there, but sometimes it does require us to just, you know what, um, this isn't exactly the way I want it, but it's not exactly the way you want it either, so let's have some sort of compromise here and just go forward. Because sometimes it's healthy just to put an end to, to conflict and move forward, and, and compromise is often a good tool to use to do that. And finally, um, affirm the relationship. Um, John? 
thirteen thirty four. See, I had this bookmarked in my Bible, but of course it's probably in the car or something. One page too far. 13.34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So simple. I should have just quoted that. I I knew that one. I just couldn't remember what the reference was. So affirming the relationship. Um, Jesus does this with us often. Uh, If you ever feel like you're at odds with God um, and you stop to pray and listen, um, oftentimes he'll speak words of affirmation to us. Just, you know, I love you, I care for you, you're good, I love you, that sort of thing. And that can be really, really affirming. It can be, feel really great when we hear that from God. Um, so we can also do that with each other. And I think it's really important in conflict to be able to affirm one another, affirm our relationship. You know what? Even though we're in conflict, I still love you. I want you to know that. Even though we're having a hard time here, I still love you. Even though I may be acting like a jerk, I still love you. Or even though you're acting like a jerk. No, you wouldn't say that. Um, but, you know, affirming that relationship. Uh, because that, that can often be um, a disarming uh, sort of thing. You know, the, the emotions are high again. You affirm that relationship. And, and a lot of those uh, emotions that are just the, the rage or the anger or whatever it may be really tend to dissipate when that other person says, you know what, I, I love you. Or, you know what, I really care about you, and I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing with you because I don't care about you, that sort of thing. Those are really, really good things to say to one another. Um, even good friends, that's important. You know, and it takes two to tango. Um, the other person may play dirty. They may be unable to engage in healthy conflict. And at some points, we may need to just walk away. That, and, and that's unfortunate. But sometimes that does happen in, in real-life relationships. Um, you know, and, and how do you handle that? That's a, that's a whole different thing altogether. But sometimes it's, um, it's unhealthy to remain in conflict. Um, so I don't want to leave without saying at least that. Um, so when we're done, now what? What do we do? Okay, um, I think when we're done with conflict, let me just move through these. Is that it? Okay, so when a good question is okay, when am I done? What you know? Okay, what 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 are the cue, the clues that I'm done here? So there's some sort of mutual understanding. I know where you're coming from. You know, we've we've been able to understand each other, what our perspectives are. Um, there's some sort of agreed upon solution or resolution to whatever the core issue was that you've identified. Um, even if it's you know what we're going to agree to disagree. Um, you know, Bible study time. Uh, you may see the scripture one way. I'm going to see it a different way. We'll try to convince each other of the truth. Um, there were quotation marks there, everybody. Um, we're going to try to convince each other of, of our perspective. But you know, at the end of the day, you may not be changed, and I may not be. And that's okay. Let's just agree to disagree. Let's move on. Um, once the Another way that we know that we're done is, um, again, I mentioned this earlier, once the, the issue, the core issue is isolated, that core difference really is relatively unimportant. That, that may happen, you know, and, and that's a good time to just say, all right, we're done. Um, again, when we're done, now what? We, we affirm the relationship. That's so important. Whether in the middle of conflict or at the end of conflict, just affirming that relationship, reminding that person I love you. One thing Megan and I always try to do after we've had a good conflict is um, 
And I say good because I do think conflict can really build our relationship. Um, but one, one thing we do is we always try to give each other a hug. Sometimes it takes me a little while. I just don't feel like hugging. <sighs> you know, but then eventually it's like, oh, okay, let's just hug. Okay. Um, and also there may be a need when, when we're done with conflict for repentance or forgiveness because we don't always act the way we want to act. You know, we look back on, a, on an hour or a 20-minute or however long the conflict was or two days, and we look back on all the things that we've done, and we say, you know what? I know I, I, know I mistreated so-and-so. I know that wasn't right the way I treated her or him or whatever it may be. And I, I need to repent, and I need to confess that. Right? I need to confess that. Or I need to forgive. You know, this person hurt me when they said these things in the middle of conflict. And they're coming to me and they're asking for forgiveness. I need to forgive them. I need to be able to forgive them. And I'm not going to go into great detail on that because Megan's talking about forgiveness next week. And I don't want to steal her thunder. Um, But at the end of the day, God calls us to deep, profound, life-changing relationships. And if we think we can go through life and relationships without getting into conflict, we've, we've fooled ourselves. It's going to happen. Some of us may be more prone to it than others, but it's going to happen. And it's important that we learn to develop ways of approaching conflict in a very healthy manner. It's really important. And that's the sort of thing those that, as we develop and foster that ability, that's going to carry with us through eternity. It's something that... Uh, that we're going to continue to, to grow or to continue to be strong at um, even when we've moved on from this phase of life. Why don't we stand and pray if we can?